Okay. This is Ryan. And this is John. And this is our chapter of As the Story Grows with Nodes of Ranvier. Welcome to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. I'm Brian Patton. This week, I'm joined by John Parker and Ryan Knudsen, formerly of Nodes of the Ranvier and currently of March in Arms. Nodes was a band I didn't get into until after the band broken up, so it was fun getting a brief overview of the band's career. John and Ryan share stories of the college where the band started, haunted houses in Arizona, the difference between their experience with Face Down and Victory Records, and their military-inspired power metal project, March in Arms. There's a second March in Arms record, that the band is working on details for releasing. If you're a new listener to the podcast, welcome. Glad you're tuning in and checking out the show. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a rating or review, and share the podcast on your social media pages. Let people know you dig it. Enjoy this week's episode with John and Ryan from Nodes of the Ranvier. You both originally from South Dakota? Yes. Yes. What was, what was growing up like for you guys? <laughs> you want to start? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I I am actually a farm kid. So okay. I grew up on a farm. Uh, had to do chores, all that stuff. Um, but it was a real drag because... When I was a teenager, all I wanted to be was a professional skateboarder. <laughs> and so, like, I, I remember, like, getting angry and, like, yelling at my parents, like, why are there all these gravel roads around here? There's nowhere to skateboard. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, Ryan's not a city kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, we, what is Sioux Falls about? Is it just under 300,000 or 200,000 right now? Anyways, yeah, just under 200,000. So, um, I grew up in Sioux Falls. Ryan was, um, just about an hour north of here. And, uh, so growing up in Sioux Falls, I mean, it, it didn't, it didn't feel strange. We're three hours from Minneapolis and three hours from Omaha, Nebraska. And so, um, you could get away for a weekend if you wanted to get to professional team sports or whatever. Um, we had a we had a venue here actually growing up um, called the Pomp Room, and I mean you could see any, every, anyone from Link eighty to the Suicide Machines came through. I remember seeing uh, when the when the Scott thing was going on. We had Less Than Jake and uh, Real Big Fish come through, and they do a lot of like all ages shows. And uh, there was actually there was a secret show one time. I think um, Aerosmith. Um, Aerosmith played. Yeah, yeah. like just, just just off the cuff and. Now it's a parking ramp, but in its heyday, that was that was my exposure because it was right across the street from the uh, 
public library. No. So I, I could tell my parents that, yeah, I'm going down. I need to get a book. My teacher told me I need to get this book. And <laughs> I would go and just grab a random book and run over to the pop room and try to spend as much time as I could there. So, you know, we got live music any way that we could. And it, it, it was, um, it was a pretty nice place to grow up. I'd say it was pretty, um, what's the word? Um, you didn't really know what you were missing if you were missing anything. And then as you get older, you can branch out and have, with the internet and the inception of, you know, everybody kind of come closer together, it's hop in a van and you suddenly have friends all over the U S. So that's awesome. how did you each get into music? Uh, older, old, um, they, I had a couple of cousins that were into metal. And so, I mean, I think like the first, <laughs> I was thinking about this a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. Just like kind of the evolution. Maybe it was something someone said on Facebook. Kind of like my introduction to heavy music. And I remember being in either first or second grade and having ACDC's "The Razor Razor's Edge" on cassette. And the only thing I could play it in was like this. It was like a play school cassette player with a little attached microphone to it. <laughs> and that, and then from there, it just evolved into you know all the old Metallica albums, and then uh, you know branching out into a lot of um, Victory Records stuff, like high school and uh, the power metal. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I remember. So Ryan and I actually met. I think I was seventeen or eighteen. We met because he and a, a friend of mine who wanted to start a band, uh, Thomas, the original vocal vocalist from Nodes, um, they were, Ryan and Thomas were going to the same uh, college. I was still in high school. And uh, we back in the day, this was when we were still burning CDs. And uh, so I wanted, you know, th when you join a band with new new people, you want to see what the, what's in their CD collection that you don't have. And uh, I got, got my hands on Ryan's. And uh, I remember... I think he pointed out this one king down ep and it's like to this day one of my favorite <laughs> recordings ever but uh, as soon as i heard that i was like yep this guy this guy will work <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how you test each other's moxie or whatever but yeah right and, and actually uh ryan being into um uh oh, what's the uh, what's the band we went on tour with um 18 wheels are rolling um integrity right integrity. So, <laughs> so ryan Ryan probably listened to Integrity earlier than, than most of us. I wasn't exposed to it until later on. But uh, we actually did get to tour with Integrity. And one of my favorite stories is uh, Dwid. So we were in Hollywood playing the Whiskey A Go-Go. And Dwid's up in the uh, uh, dressing rooms doing God knows what. So they needed, they're doing sound check. And they couldn't get Dwid down to do the sound check. And so Ryan gets up and does, like, nobody really knew that Ryan had a good Dwid impersonation. He just gets up there and... Starts going after it. I think Scott Staff was there too from Terror, wasn't he? He was like on stage around the side of the stage, and everyone was like, "Who? What? What is this? Who is this guy? This is Dwid." And Dwid comes down while Ryan's doing sound check, and he's you know coming down the side of the stage or whatever. He just looks and he's like, "Well, this is taken care of. Nobody needs me here." So, <laughs> but, but yeah, the uh, the intro to music was um, you know you'd have friends, you'd have like I said, we did have a a pretty darn uh, burgeoning, pretty darn good um, burgeoning music scene in Sioux Falls. And um, I didn't have any siblings myself that exposed me to stuff, but I, I kind of got into that, that tooth and nail, 
um, uh, you know, back catalog early on, um, stuff you'd find at UCD shops. And, uh, I mean, for me, it was kind of like MXPX and Operation Ivy, and then it just kind of bloomed from there. But, um, yeah, it was, it was fun because there was a really, once you kind of started buying your own music and not just listening to whatever your parents piped in or had in their house, um, you could, uh, you could do a lot worse than, than, than living around here because there was so much DIY music going on, people making mixtapes and stuff. There was just a, a lot of energy around music and sharing it. So That's cool. What was the uh, evolution of bands like for you guys? Uh, did you guys play in high school? or? Yeah, Ryan, what, what were you in? Were yes. you in a uh, band at school? Uh, <laughs> did you have a good band name? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I school band um i had to play trombone because in order to play drums you had to have piano lessons um, oh man <laughs> yeah so i was a boner um and then <laughs> i was in a band called uh red moth which was just like me a bass player and a guitar player slash vocalist and pretty much every gig we played like i shouldn't have been there because i'm like 13, 14 years old, and these are all like, you know, house parties with alcohol and playing bars and playing like outdoor music fest where you got to be 21 years old. Um, and I think God, I must have been 16 probably when I, when I, I don't think I really quit the band. I think my parents kind of talked to some of the members and told them like I couldn't be in the band anymore. We played like biker fests and stuff like that. So I was probably around stuff I shouldn't have been around. But um yeah, it was that. And then I wasn't in any bands until uh first year of college when Node started. So Which is the best time for a band to start too when you're, you know, getting into lifelong debt. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the uh um the the intro to let's see what I think Ryan had seen one of my old, Ryan did you ever see uh Edict of Milan or were you going? I I don't remember if, if we met. No, I, I don't know oh, Ryan and I met before college. Yeah. yeah. So, I had played in being in Sioux Falls like I I was in some like you know, little punk rock bands and then uh um, you know, scant recordings here and there. Um, then I was in a band, kind of a, a screamo band um, called Edict of Milan, and we played, we had a really cool, like I said, we had a cool scene in, in town. We had another band called Spirit of Versailles that um, was kind of the local favorite you know, screamo band youth crew. Um, we were, we didn't really have a militant hardcore scene. We had more of that, um, um, you know, the... <laughs> It wasn't. It, kids were straight edge, but it really wasn't militant. It was more about having fun, and and the, the straight edge kids got along with the vegan kids, got along with the you know non straight edge kids. There wasn't ever fights at shows. Shows weren't even <laughs> closed down, sort of thing. You know, I mean, unless there was a, a drunk or something that might get kicked out of a show, but there was never like crews going after each other. So, um, very constructive that way, and everybody felt welcome at shows. I mean, you'd have God. We we had Mastodon play before remission came out they just had this like six song ep on them and they played in the basement for like you know 16 to 20 kids they had their own pa and then we all waited seven eight months for that for remission to actually come out but yeah we got some of the local promoters just did a great job of, of bringing in a wide 
array of music and then you'd have shows i remember like we saw cool hand luke so you'd have all kinds of, of bands genres on one show and you'd have christian bands and second whatever you know however you feel about that but bands that were outspokenly christian bands that were outspokenly atheists or whatever playing the same show and kids would just support it was like it's a it's a night of live music um my friends are going to be there we're going to go have fun and yeah it was it was a really constructive scene so um it was fun to be i think that was one of the driving creative driving factors was like being able to be in a band that would get to the point where promoters would take you seriously and you'd be able to play shows with bands that you liked. I, I remember Nodes got on a show with Zayo when uh, Dan wasn't in the band, and uh, it, but it didn't, it didn't matter. It, didn't it was matter, an, yeah. an opportunity to play with Zayo. Like, I mean, that was, that was one of the bands that transitioned for me from you know, punk rock to uh, metal and hardcore. And uh, so to be able to play with them and then later on meet Sean Jonas uh, from Symphony in Peril and stuff like that, that was just, uh, I mean, it was, that was a dream come true. It was, it was absolutely awesome. So yeah, it just kind of motivated you to, to keep growing musically and keep creating with your friends because then you'd be able to, to play these shows and half your friends were in bands too. So it was like, you know, you'd be playing with your friends and the bands that you loved. And uh, it was pretty much the perfect storm talk about those uh, early days of nodes and uh, the formation of the band uh the first, the first practice <laughs> was john myself and thomas and we had to use the band room at usf um wasn't there something funny happened with that i know yeah, something I funny it was actually the that. first time i ever met you in person so yeah. it was like we, you might have had your drums already set up because weren't you like in the jazz band or something there was it was that like you knew the band director? Or something? I think, I'm pretty sure I, I used the I used the drums at USF, so okay. I used the band. Yeah, um, yeah. When we finally, <laughs> I when I finally brought my kit from home down to college, it had it was like this old Slingerland kit, and it had this this white you know white plastic wrap on it. And I wanted it to be like a stained wood. So in that dorm room at the college, I <laughs> was sitting there with a heat gun and all these chemicals stripping these drum shells. And, you know, anytime you do something like that, you don't really realize how bad the smell is because you're in there while it's building up. I cleared the whole dorm out. So, yeah, kind of the the <laughs> a lot of early node stuff is, sir, is, is like based around that college. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Yes, Ryan was always uh, into doing a lot of work on his own drum sets, uh, even to the point where he built his own drum set from the ground up. So <laughs> that's awesome. What made you want to build your own drum set? Just control, or um, well, again, college. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's like at the end of every year, you would get a check back. It's like. It's like you, your student loan would borrow. They'd try to uh, guesstimate how much you had to borrow, and then it would always be too much, so you get like a check back. And um, I got a check for like sixteen hundred bucks, and I decided I can't get like a really nice drum kit for that much, so I'm gonna buy a bunch of components and build the kit that I want. <laughs> so that's that's the whole reason for doing that. Salvation! In the 
How'd you get hooked up with Pastown Records? That was that was a press pack. Um, I think they were a lot more valuable back in. What yeah. year was that? Not two thousand and one or two thousand two? When we actually, because I graduated high school two thousand two, and we got signed while I was still like at the end of my senior high school. You know, my senior year in high school. So it must have been two thousand two. Thomas had put together some some press packs. I think it contained a VHS tape. Honestly, because we would. That was the other thing. Like the local scene, everybody would record shows. You'd have footage, and you just have to ask a friend about the guy who had the camera at the show and then you'd have access to it was it was crazy so we um you know we sent off a press pack i I, i'm sure we sent sent you know to a a couple of labels and we didn't know if we really fit in like i mentioned before you know we weren't really that um that uh (laughs) the standard east coast west coast hardcore vibe so we didn't know where we'd fall into to the uh to the the sound or or if the label would be interested in us because we didn't sound enough like the other bands or whatever but they were the most responsive i mean jason you know can't say enough good things about about him uh, and virginia and um the family there to this day how they run their label the 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 integrity i mean it's it's amazing like what what they're what they've done and what they're still doing and how they haven't had to um you know um make concessions for the way they want to run things, uh, which is absolutely. We saw some, we saw some examples uh, through some other labels uh, out there. Um, and if we hadn't assigned with face down, it, it, it I, we would have been lucky to get through two albums at the most, probably <laughs> with some of the problems we ran into down, down the road. But yeah, we, we sent this off to Jason. He got back to us and uh, it just, it, it was awesome. He was, he was super supportive told us you know we we had we had released i think part, some of the songs on an ep with another band from iowa at the time and uh we re-released you know we, he was he was he was okay with that because it obviously wasn't as wide a release as he was going to provide um so he had uh, i think the guy's name was caleb um from like caleb if i remember correctly this guy worked for boot to head records and he would do artwork for jason um just somebody that he networked with and so the artwork i think i don't know i me thomas might have talked to him and that's where the the artwork for the first album came from was it was this guy named caleb and um it seemed to fit well with the lyrical content and the vision that thomas had and the rest of us nobody hated it so <laughs> we went with it plus we felt like oh my gosh someone just did artwork for us i mean it was you know we're this is going to be released it was beyond kind of any of our our dreams at the time so it was uh it was absolutely awesome it just seemed like yeah, we, we heard back from Jason and it was just, uh, it, it, it spun from there. And, and then a wonderful relationship with that label uh, just took off. It's awesome. Yeah, you guys were on uh, early to face down. Uh, what, what led you to want to be part of that scene? I don't know that we knew that we didn't want to be a part of it. What okay. was your, do you remember much, Ryan? Uh, I, you know, just like anyone, you create something and you want as many people to hear it. So yeah, just having anyone be interested in us and we just thought that was cool. And I mean, I think with any band, it just like, you don't really know what the next step is going to be. You just kind of take it one step at a time. And, um, you know, like I, I honestly, I don't think at that point we were even thinking like, Hey, let's do like a tour. Like, I don't think we ever thought we'd really be playing much beyond our state. 
and then uh yeah you, you sign a record and um next thing you know you're buying a van <laughs> buying boxes to strap on top of the van because you don't have a trailer and there's not enough room in the van and you're going across the country so yeah that's yeah, we cool. cobbled it together we cobbled yeah. it together <laughs> yeah what was the connection to getting Derek Hess to do the artwork for the self-titled record? That's even more of a, of a question. I think it's still a question <laughs> that we're asking. We, uh, we somehow got, he noticed us. He, we captured his attention with the first album. Somebody, somebody gave him the first album. Um, this is, this is a pretty cool story too. So he had emailed us. This was, God, we had dial-up internet. We were all living in the same house. Our practice space was in a basement. We have basements in South Dakota. They're below grade. So you have the main floor and then a floor below. You can make all kinds of noise and think you can't be heard by the neighborhood, but you probably can. But anyway, so we all lived together. We all had our practice space in the basement. It, was, it, was, it worked pretty good. And we had dial-up internet at the time. And uh, every night, you know, we'd, we'd check out you know what emails we got and we, that's how we were booking uh, shows at the time and um we got this email. i remember thomas getting this email from Derek hess and he thought somebody was cranking us like that was the initial reaction like there's no way this is this is somebody that made up a email address it sounds like it could be from Derek hess you know that anyways it was it was you know something to the effect of you know i, I somebody exposed me to, to your first album here you got a second one on the way um you know i was wondering if you guys needed artwork for it so, like, yes. So somehow we coordinated that we got on a show. It was, uh, was the venue like the Cleveland Agora or something like that? We, we got on this show with, with Me Without I You. Yeah, Me Without You, Every Time I Die, and Norma Jean headlined. And um, there were some other local bands that played. Um, it, it was it was fantastic. So we drove out. We played like two garage shows or something on the way out just to get to, to Cleveland. That was the primary reason we were leaving for this weekend trip. And uh, we meet Derek Hess. They were also, the show was also Derek Hess had released a DVD of all the videos. Did, did he work on DVD? There's a Derek Hess DVD of like video collection. He did MXPX and sick of it all. And I can't remember all the other bands that were on this, but it was a release. That show was a release for this. So there was a good, I mean, it was a nice venue. It was probably one of the nicest venues we'd ever played, like sound system wise and just everything put together. Um, and, and it was packed. I mean, God, the lineup. And then, um, yeah, we uh, we played in there and they took the photos from the self-titled album are all from the stage at that show. They were all taken that night. So Nick Thomas is in that layout from the Spill Canvas, who, who did really well. And they're still active. Yeah. Um, they were actually just on a tour with... Uh, Two of the guys from Juliana Theory. My sister went and saw him in Denver. It was awesome. Anyways, um, the uh, the layout, yeah, the, the the pictures in the layout were taken that night, and uh, we got to meet you know Norma Jean. Every time I die, me without you. They were those guys were on tour or something together. But um, there's a video that every time I die put out where there's a kid that jumps off the stage in a robot costume, and it just gets it disintegrates as oh, soon as he yeah. as soon as he gets <laughs> into the crowd. And then Norma Jean didn't have a vocalist no. uh, at this point in their tour. And so they just stuck a microphone on a straight stand in the center front of the stage and started playing. And it was pandemonium. Like, it was absolutely amazing to watch. It was so fun. But uh, uh, that, was, that was a heck of a show. And all the things that happened that night, too. And then, and then it was over. 
I remember driving back towards because we just drove straight home after this. It was I don't remember if it was a Saturday or a Sunday. And uh, I remember seeing me without you. We passed me without you. And uh, it was just like so much fun, so much fun, so much fun. Everything you want to do every night when you're in a band and then calm, quiet, drive home. <laughs> the, the, the highs and the lows there. So, yeah, it was uh, that was definitely a precursor to the next however many years that we, we were in existence. Yeah. Ryan, what led you to uh, leave the band? I... Uh... It was just uh, finances, partially. Um, I was married. Um, I think I got married even even during the um, self-titled album. Might have been oh, like yeah. when I got married. Yeah. And so we got a house, and uh, I don't know. It just I just felt like we were doing a lot of tours over and over again. If if I think if we would have gotten. Um, felt like we were accumulating more and more success and kind of going up the ladder. I would have stayed on. Um, but it was just, uh, I don't know. I just felt like it was time. So. Yeah. You're starting a business and, uh, a business. Yeah. Yep. And Ryan and his, (laughs) Ryan and his wife actually drove in a sob in their own car behind us on one of our tours as their honeymoon. So, we did get to go there. She got to get to the ocean. So it was, yeah. <laughs> she also got to see our roadie take a dump off a second story balcony at a hotel room. Which was, <laughs> was That's crazy. also true. That's also true. <laughs> we, we were a very green band on the road. We would share, or just pack as many people as we could to a single hotel room. So, you know, sometimes it wasn't the most uh, family friendly. Or lady yeah. friend, say. <laughs> <laughs> that that oh, was yeah, that was the tour of every like you know, we'd usually ask for a place to stay and um like on stage, you know, hey, hit us up at the merch <laughs> at the merch booth if you have a if we can stay with you tonight. And then uh so we'd we'd meet the people in the parking lot before we're gonna drive to their house. And when, when Jen was with, we'd always be like, So there's no cockroaches, right? <laughs> Every time that we was would, we would ask. Cockroaches, right? Dude, I mean, like we'd walk into a house and the lights would turn on and you knew something was scurrying away. You couldn't see what it was. One time, <laughs> we, walked, <laughs> one time we walked into one and didn't we, the cockroach was so big. I think you named it Norman, John. And they, it's like, they, on they, back, they named it. They had already yeah. named it, and, and they told us they didn't have cockroaches, but they had one with a name. Yeah. We walk <laughs> in, and there's like a three-inch-long cockroach on its back. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> and, and Jen walks in, and the kid like kind of like slowly sweeps it under the dishwasher. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> a lot of places we slept in that tour, like we slept with the lights on all night. <laughs> Good time. Oh, man. Very true. I got up and got into the van a couple of times. That was, yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. That's funny. The ha- a Love for Enemies. I remember seeing a Love for Enemies and they like asked at the show, they're like, does anybody have a place for us to sleep tonight? Me and my roommate were like, you, yeah, you can come to our house. So, there you go. Uh, hey, you know, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's I, great. Seriously, I think, I think in all the years of touring, we probably stayed in 
less than 10 hotels, wouldn't you say? I mean, it was almost always staying with people. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it, the first tour, we got spoiled. Like, somehow, every house we stayed in on that first tour, we were out with Falling Cycle. Uh, we went east coast, south, southern east coast, wasn't it mostly? Yeah. And every house is a freaking mansion. The problem was there were more people living in these homes than there were attending the shows that we were playing. <laughs> at the time. So, but we got spoiled. I mean, every night, and then it would be a smorgasbord every morning. Amazing food. So you'd, you know, distended bellies back into the van, go to the next show, but at least you were full. Um, <laughs> we got spoiled. So at every tour after that, it was, it was like much more of a struggle to, because, we were playing these shows that were much more DIY. Like the promoter would always have somebody there that would, you know, they'd, they'd almost expect that the bands would be staying with somebody that the promoter knew and they'd already kind of have it set up. You know, it was like they divvied it up before we even got to the venue who's staying with who. But um, yeah, when you get to the point where you're, you're playing more, um, you know, venues that that's all they do for, for, uh, uh, you know, shows every night or whatever it is. Um, it was a totally different, different ball game, but we had, I, God, we had remember that night in Flagstaff where every hotel we stopped at said vacancy and we'd get up to the front window and there was no vacancy. And we're like, uh -huh. what do you got to do to get, I mean, there were nights like that too. And sometimes you just stay and keep driving. You just keep driving. And, uh, there was no place to stay, but yeah, we, we stay, we, we preferred to stay with people. We wouldn't, we, I don't think we ever turned it down. I mean, maybe once or twice, but we stayed, I mean, some of the best tour stories were because we, agreed to stay with people whenever we could. So, you know, that remember, was, remember uh, the house with the well, there was a house in, is it Phoenix? It's in Arizona. Yes. Yes. Yep. It was, yep. It, it, we came through like, and this is probably like six months after that. Remember that movie, the ring? Yeah. Yep. We were yep. crawling out of the well. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to this house and we like pull around back behind this house. And there's this crew, creepy freaking well just like in the ring <laughs> behind the house the house is really weird like you get there you don't even feel like the people who are living there are supposed to be living there um it's almost like it, like they were squatters and half the electricity didn't work in the house um and then six months later we came to phoenix again and asked for a place to stay again totally different group of people and like about two blocks down the street, we're like, oh my god. It's the <laughs> freaking house of here. Like, all oh, totally different people. Oh my god. The only, the only thing that makes sense is that something came out of that well and killed the people that were there before. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's the only there, thing there that makes was, sense. Uh, it's the <laughs> only Phoenix thing. Was, yeah. Arizona was famous for that because there was another, I can't remember what city it was, if it was still Phoenix, but remember we stayed across from that abandoned like preschool and the kids had all these pictures like whenever you took pictures with old school digital cameras any dust in the air would show up as an orb and these kids were convinced that these orbs they had all these pictures of orbs it was there was spirits and ghosts and everything but this the 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 grounds of this abandoned school was legit creepy i mean you go in there and people had planted dolls in cabinetry but it was just it was just there and anyone could walk through it it was you know it, it, it wasn't volatile in any way but yeah you go after dark and you had all these kids you know um ramping it up in your mind is how how, how scary it would be to go there and yeah, something about staying places in Arizona. There was always an adventure to be had. Oh, man. That's so funny. 
Job, what was it like for you keeping the band going with all the member changes and, and having to deal with constantly replacing people? What, what did we figure there was 18 people in the band? We had we had three bass players. players. Yeah, we had three bass players before we played a show. <laughs> way back early on. <laughs> it was was it was it in our third bass player and we finally played a show. So um yeah, it was it was exactly that. So um we had yeah, member member and lineup changes. Uh, Ryan and I were um, musically, we had the most uh, connection. Um, we had written together the longest of, of, of anyone in the band, you know, having started it and then gotten through three records. And we started to write um, the, the fourth album together. We had some material laid out and there were some ideas there. Um, we hadn't really dove into it yet. But um, yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was tough to work without Ryan. It definitely was. And not only because logistically there were people in and out of the band. Um, but yeah, 18 members, I think by the time it was all said and done, there were 18 different members. Um, so that last album, you know, we had the, uh, we, we made the label change move and, um, um, we, we were able to do some pre-production to an extent that we weren't ever able to do before some video work, um, where we get, you know, we got to work with a, I wanted to work with a guy who had made, um, uh, a Macedon video out in, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So we got we got to get that all set up. So that was really cool. We had a we had a manager of sorts at the time, a really nice guy down actually in Atlanta. So he took us from the airport to where we needed to go. It just kind of worked out that way, uh, serendipity. And um, we uh, it, it it was a struggle. That that last album, there, it wasn't so much the writing; it was a struggle. But um, you know, getting people uh, lined up to play the old material while we're writing new material. And it, it was, it was, I mean, it was, yeah, it was arduous and it was, uh, there, there was definitely times, um, you know, after the first record, and I think every band goes through that where it's like, you did the first record. It was totally fun. You didn't have any deadlines. You didn't know it was going to get released even. And then you start to get to that point where it's more like a job and you hope that your creativity isn't suffering. And, um, you know, you, you hope that the, that there's still an element of heart, to what you're putting out there, um, and, uh, you know, and not just trying to get something out there so that you can get something out there because it's ex expected. So I think we did a pretty good job of that. It was fun. There, there was a lot of fun still left in writing that last album, but the, the personnel stuff started to, to creep in and it got really, uh, it got really chunky. And, um, I remember we had, we were trying to find a bass player, um, there at the end. And I think once we kind of located, he only ended up playing our, our final show um we didn't even get to go on the tour that we were trying to prepare for um because there was some really um some really tough family stuff that was going on with our drummer at the time and it kind of the decision so jake stefik and myself um were the the two members from the previous record um that decided that uh you know it wasn't worth um trying to find yet another drummer and continue this thing going forward it was just too arduous at the, at the time and uh we ended up calling it quits not too long after the, the first the, the last record came out we actually i don't think we actually got to tour no we got to do one tour with the pressing in hand and like new t-shirts and the merch and the, you know for that album for defined by struggle and um no that that's a bummer it felt like a lot of uh, wasted effort but um it was also a record that we were proud of and to consider, you know, it was a third vocalist, a new drummer. Um, what we were able to produce sonically was, was a lot of fun. Um, and it was, it was, it felt kind of fresh, felt kind of, kind of thrashy. And, um, 
it still felt like nodes. So, um, I, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a very challenging time. I'm glad I did it before I was married or had kids. And, uh, it was, uh, it, the, the end result I'm, I'm still happy with the, when we did our reunion show, uh, in 2017, we went and played face down fest and a couple shows in the Midwest local to us. Um, the singer from defined by struggle, who's a very good friend of ours, Kyle Benicky, um, who did a documentary recently on a venue in Omaha, uh, long since passed called the, um, the, uh, cog factory, go on YouTube, look up this documentary, donate to him. He did a fantastic job. It's like more information about punk rock and hardcore from this venue than you can shake a stick at in 50 minutes. So it's amazing. But anyways, um, Kyle, and did our reunion show as a vocalist and we didn't play any of the material that we wrote with him we played everything but the defined by struggle material oh, it was totally with it it was a fa- it was for face down so we played the face down material and uh yeah he was totally awesome about it and it worked out really 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 well it was a blast it was an absolute blast there's there's some good youtube videos actually he's a he does video editing work and so after the show um he had some stuff set up on stage but he also called out and got video from the crowd so he collaborated like we had some videos with like six angles. It was great. It was fantastic. So, um, 2017 face down fest is some good footage. Uh, if you haven't had a nodes fix for a while. Yeah. What led to that reunion show? Jason Dunn. Jason Dunn. <laughs> yeah. He reached out to us and he, said, he, he reached out and had like an, had like some interview questions about the album first about years to come. It was like, the first, uh, maybe, that was kind of the first connection we made. He wanted us yeah, to reflect on the album. album. It was an anniversary, like a ten-year anniversary or something. And then he also said, "Hey, we're thinking about you know for our twenty-year yeah. face-down anniversary, getting a bunch of the old bands back together, and uh, and having them out here at the festival." And uh, yeah, then it was like, "Geez, you get an offer like that, especially from Jason." I mean, that was those were some of the best times of our lives, uh, Ryan and I, musically. So you know, we were going to make do everything we can to make it happen, and we did. We uh, we had some. It was kind of hard figuring out who the initially who was going to do it from the, the old lineup and who was able to. Um, our, our good buddy Terry Taylor uh, from Lawrence, Kansas, uh, he, he was going to do it, but he had some complications coming up with uh, some of his. He, he was in like med school or something. There was just a lot of stuff going on. So um, yeah, we kind of kind of it was it was basically going right back into it with the lineup, trying to figure out you know and not step on. <laughs> Those. but we we got yeah we we got to where uh we had a lineup and um and it it wasn't um it wasn't like it was only one member from the band so we had we we had uh we, we had a great um uh, we we successfully made ourselves sound like we did back in the day and not like the old man that we had uh, since become <laughs> <laughs> my god my god What led to that transition from Face Down Records to Victory? We were done with the the, the albums that we had signed up for with Face Down, and, and nothing uh, against Face Down. Um, we we didn't re-sign. I don't even think I, I don't 
I'm sure Jason had, we, he probably talked to us about it and, and we just had an offer. We had the, um, a lawyer that uh, was helping us out quite a bit. And uh, there were, there were some talks between, we'd actually talked with, um, gosh, what was the, what was the label that the first um, Lamb of God record came out on? Um, the, anyways, we had, we'd been in talks with some other labels and the, the guy who owned the label had sent us a contract while he was in Japan and it was like a contract with a different band name on it. It wasn't, it wasn't right at all. And then he wasn't going to be back in the States to till, you know, a month later to get it corrected. And so in that time, uh, victory sent us an, uh, an offer and our lawyer chip, he's like, he's worked with a, a number of bands at the time that had been on victory. And he said, when I read this contract, I, I fell off my chair. That was what he told me. And uh, he's like, I think it would be the best move for you. And so with his console and chip is still to this day, uh, we have scant contact with him, but he's, he's an awesome dude. We can trust him. Um, I know he worked with Ford today and stuff like that down the road too. So he's done a lot of good for a lot of bands uh, protecting their interests. But um, yeah, we, we got, it was a, it was a very non-committal um, uh, for the band. Uh, uh, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of precedent in it. There wasn't a lot of risk in it. And so, it just made sense. And at the time, I remember our first promo picture was just four of us without the vocalists. So when we signed to the label, they wanted to have promo pics to announce the signing. And we're like, gosh, are they going to, like, we hadn't told them yet that we didn't have a vocalist. So <laughs> it was early promo pics for Defined by Struggle. And that was way before the album was named or anything like that. It was just four guys. Um, we had a brand new drummer at the time. And so, yeah, it was, it, it was interesting, but it, um, it, it worked out. It, it was, uh, it was somewhat smooth. Um, we, we did learn that um, the, the reputation of uh, some people at the label did precede them and uh, uh, they, they weren't as constructive. There was a couple of, uh, there was at least one drunk dial uh, situation um, and uh, I answered the phone and I didn't know what in the world the point of this call was. And the next day I talked to the assistant and he was just like, just forget about that. That happens from time to time. <laughs> oh, like, man. Oh my goodness. Then we came, uh, we came up to a point where we were going to go on a tour, um, the label, um, that you had previously mentioned <laughs> had taken on. So they were, they were, they were famous for taking on their own merch output for their bands and then taking a cut from all that. So they were busy trying to take on, uh, as many things in house as they possibly could. And that included, um, booking, uh, tour, tour agent, booking agents, uh, for tours. And so we were on this, we were on this tour and I remember looking at it every day and dates were getting filled in. And like the weekend before we were supposed to go on this tour, there were still a couple of holes. And so I was trying to reach out to this person because I knew some promoters because we had booked all of our own tours uh, for many years. And I remember reaching, trying to reach out to this guy who'd been, uh, we'd been in contact uh, with before and give him some leads on some places where people would be interested to get us into these fill in shows here and there. And I couldn't reach him all of a sudden. So turns out he had been just let go summarily nobody told anybody um the person that told me got in trouble because they weren't supposed to tell me um <laughs> at, at the label and then uh and then the uh the head honcho uh, over victory ended up calling me and yelling at me because i was asking him what the plan was for the tour like if had the tour been dissolved was there someone that was going to pick up the booking like are we still copacetic to go on this thing like what's up i was just asking the questions that anyone would ask and i'd basically got shouted down. So it was, uh, it was a contentious relationship kind of from the get go, which 
is why I said what I said earlier about yeah. being on face down and and really having a good uh, a good run with with Jason and uh, the face down team. Yeah. They're in a brand new band called March in Arms. How'd that project get started? Ryan, you've moved from the drums to playing guitar and the frontman role. Yep. Um, March in Arms, I, I get the name wasn't decided on until much later, but um, some of the music from March in Arms actually, I was writing that as far back as 2003 and 2004 on tour in Nodes. Um, and it was about the time that uh, the band Iced Earth put out an album called The Glorious Burden. And each song on that album is kind of about like a historical war moment. And um, the B-side to the album is this big epic three-part series about Gettysburg. And I've always really been into war history uh World War II, World War One history. And so I just kind of thought, well, that's pretty cool. It'd be cool to do a whole band that just does nothing but that. Um, so then I started, yeah, I just kind of kept chiseling away at that. And uh, after Nodes broke up a couple of years later, John and I, we started another band with some other friends called Old Ironside. And what was that, John? Probably two years ran with that. Yeah, at least. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and I was drumming in that, um, and then the vocalist of that band quit, and then we kept trying to have practices, and I was like still behind the drum set, and John was just like, what about all that stuff you've been working on? And, and I'm like, well, we're going to have to get a drummer if we're going to do that, so that's kind of how that started. So yeah, um, 2012, probably when that started. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have some demos from 2012 up on Bandcamp. Yep. People can check out along with uh, your album. John, you said you guys uh, have a second album that's uh, being released soon or in the works. Yeah, it's it's been recorded. The COVID thing kind of kind of threw us off a little bit. Um, <laughs> it probably would have would have been released in the spring. Was kind of the plan. Um, it, here in the Midwest, uh, if you're not used to having snow, it's a great time to make a record when there is snow. Uh, because they're, you know, there's, it's just a little, life slows down a little bit. So, <laughs> um, we, uh, yeah, we, we recorded kind of what, what winter, how long has it been now since we actually uh, we, recorded it, we recorded it in November, 2018. <laughs> That's when we recorded this album. And so, yeah, we just had, I, you know, the whole process of going back and forth and getting the mixes where you want and, and getting like the artwork and trying to like get this snowball rolling so you have this big release and then we had two members quit the end of last year and then covid hit and so now we're just kind of like 
how do we time this to release this so it just doesn't like forgotten about when we want to start playing shows again so <laughs> hopefully yeah. soon probably probably the next couple months so so we've recorded the first album uh the one that's on Bandcamp right now um that was all recorded with uh jeremy schaefer from earth groans who's on solid state he actually has a studio in his home it's about an hour drive from here in a town called scotland uh south dakota scotland south dakota and uh we worked with him on this album too it was just uh it was just the next the next um progression in the in the uh discography here so um yeah we're, we're really excited about it worked really hard on it we were actually in las vegas trying to get a, a spot on Wacken Wacken festival um which now isn't happening either um we were playing this battle of the bands uh <laughs> down in vegas so we were it, we were flying around right before COVID hit the fans. So even the winner of the, we didn't win, uh, but uh, even if we had, we would have been very disappointed because we wouldn't have been able to go. To this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great time. It was, it was fun to go down there and play on a, on a you know, we're, we, we, we're used to playing locally. Um, we don't, we, we're not touring anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, it, we, we try to do, we try to stay as active as we possibly can and, and um, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. So yeah, we're uh, we're looking forward to getting this thing out there. And it's definitely not a project that's riding the coattails and nodes anymore or at all. Um, people who like power metal will like it. Maybe people who like nodes will, will like it. But um, yeah, check out the. There's a video uh, people seem to enjoy quite a bit called Ashes on YouTube. Um, it's 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 uh, something we put a lot of heart into. Ryan especially. We actually built. Well, Ryan, you tell the story about the C130 that that uh, we had to build. <laughs> yeah. So, so we wanted to have, uh, it's about soldiers coming home. And so we wanted to have a C-130 in the video and Sioux Falls actually has an air force base, um, with C-130s. And I, I'm actually classmates with some of the people that are kind of higher up over there. And, and I tried and tried, I mean, I knew that would be kind of a high bar to actually, you know, use a multi-million dollar aircraft for our no name band video. So the next best thing was um, our drummer at the time, his family has a pallet shop. So they have lots of semis and semi-trailers. And so uh, we went out for, what, two, three days and converted the inside of a semi-trailer with a fully functioning C-130 ramp door. Like, I analyzed the hell out of the inside of that aircraft. I bought... I bought cargo netting that would match the inside of the aircraft. We put up like insulation that would look like it. Uh, we, I, we, there's not hydraulics on it. So like in, in the video, there's actually like four people with sticks operating this door on the other side. You can't see it, but <laughs> we spent so much time building that. And by the time the final cut of the video comes out, cause that door, you see that door opening shot is three seconds long. <laughs> and our bass player was so pissed because he's like, I spent a whole weekend up and building that. And that's all we got to do that thing. <laughs> but it's an epic shot. It is an epic shot. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's an epic shot. So, yeah. Yeah, if you like military history and you like uh, epic, uh, really catchy power metal, check out Monks and Arms. Time to make my life 
Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening.